family life can be both rewarding and frustrating. That is why we are here to strengthen families with quality information and support to meet the many challenges they face. Welcome to In Support of Families. Parents all over the world have been through the same trials that you are facing. Your host, Emma Lou Penrod, is here to help with valuable parenting tips for a happy, orderly home. Welcome to this episode of In Support of Families. I'm talking to Anna-Laura Brown today, and she is a health coach and autism advocate. Anna-Laura, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I love what you're doing. I, I worked with students with autism when I was a teacher and really developed a great respect and admiration for them and love. So how did you become a health coach and autism advocate? So, well, <laughs> that could be probably a story for an entire day, but, you know, to make things a little bit short, let me start by saying that my story is a little bit unique. I am, you know, was a child of the late 70s and was diagnosed at the age of five. And as a female back in the early 80s, that was actually pretty rare. The main reason that my parents discovered it was not just because of my behavior and that kind of thing, but I had a super rare illness as a baby and actually almost died at Primary Children's Hospital and have published a book on my story that goes into all the details of my illness and that kind of thing. So I'm not going to share too much other than to say that I almost died and that illness can cause some brain damage and some different issues and things like that. And so the doctors had actually warned my parents to watch out for a lot of things. And so when my parents took me in at the age of five to have that evaluation, it wasn't like they thought that they were going to get the evaluation of autism. Yeah. You know, it's, autism was pretty rare back then. So I don't think that's really what they expected necessarily. They just knew that there were some things like I was doing stimming and hand licking and, you know, a few things like that that are kind of your typical sensory disorder issues. And my parents just were like, some of this just doesn't seem super normal to us. You know? And so they took me in for an evaluation. And at that time, there was no real spectrum, which is kind of how they've gone back to it. It's kind of interesting how things they started off, you know, it was just the autism spectrum, there were no names, you didn't have Asperger syndrome, you didn't have the persuasive developmental disorder, or the PDD NOS, like they had for a while, and they had that for quite a few years. And then now they've kind of gone back to just calling everything autism spectrum. So it's kind of come full circle in a lot of ways, but based on the research and the, some of the books and things I've read, I think that PDD NOS would have probably been my official spectrum diagnosis had that existed in the early 1980s, but it didn't really. So they just kind of slapped the, oh, well, you've got like autistic like sensory behavior. So, you know, you're somewhere on the autism spectrum label on me. And so as a child, I was, high enough functioning that I knew that something was off. You know, I knew I wasn't so-called quote unquote normal, like all the other kids. I had some of these different quirks, different things. Like I also had a photographic memory as a child and that's not very normal. That's unusual. (laughs) And things like that, you know, so even things that were, you could view as a positive I had were not, part of the normal thing that the kids I went to school with had. And, you know, my parents kind of would remind me from time to time with some of my behaviors that some of these things were not really 
appropriate behaviors, if you will, or things that a well-civilized and well-behaved person should engage in. So, you know, I definitely knew that I was different. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I would, that was a really big blessing, even though at the time growing up, I remember thinking, gosh, you know, I'm just kind of weird. I'm different. You know, how am I going to fit in? What's the rest of my life going to be like? But I realize now, especially as I've read some of these books by a lot of, especially females on the spectrum who are around my age, maybe in some cases a little bit younger, a little bit older, and a lot of them were never really diagnosed in some cases ever, but a lot of cases they weren't diagnosed till they were high school, college age, sometimes maybe even out of college. And so they never really knew that they had really any kind of an official diagnosis of any kind. They kind of knew that they had these quirks, but they never really got any kind of help or therapies or anything like that because of that. And so it made me feel like I was really blessed in coming from the family that I did in the situation that I came from. And so anyhow, to lead to the story, so how did I become the autism advocate? Well, just started realizing, you know, in the last probably seven or eight years or so, that staying silent about my story doesn't serve anybody and that there's a lot of parents out there that could really benefit from my story, which is one of the reasons I wrote my book as well, because I feel like my story is really different and unique. And I feel like a lot of people need to hear it, even though, let's face it, there's some things in the book that are really vulnerable and as uh, fairly independent adults are rather embarrassing to some degree. <laughs> you know, some of these things I think, oh, do I really want to confess to having ever done that? But, you know, it helps make my story much more relatable to these adults, either on the spectrum or to the parents that read the book. So, you know, I decided those things needed to be in the book. And then as far as health coach goes, as happens with a lot of children and then also adults on the spectrum, a lot of us have a lot of digestive issues and a lot of allergies. Those have a tendency to go hand in hand with being on the autism spectrum. And sometimes parents don't realize that their child has these, but it's very common. And, you know, there's been well, do well documented with lots and lots of doctors that have written books about the connection between your gut health your digestive health and your brain health and how those are definitely related and how diet definitely impacts that. And so as an adult, as a child, actually, I was on a couple of special diets. My parents were really into, you know, like the holistic medicine side of things from the time I was little, which again, I think is a really good blessing and not something that a lot of children have the privilege of being exposed to. But even as an adult, still, you know, really have struggled in that area with a lot of things. And so I realized that I could really help a lot of people with their overall health. And so I did a one-year online program with what is called the Institute of Integrated Nutrition. They are based out of New York. When they first started, you had to go in person, but then they've evolved into being online. And they've become one of the best and most well-known online health coaching and nutrition school. So what they do is they talk with you about, you learn about all the different diets and nutrition plans that are out there, or at least the more common ones. And then you learn, you know, different aspects of nutrition as well as different lifestyle coaching. It's to some degree, it's kind of like being a life coach training, but it's more like how, how do these things impact your overall health? 
and things like that. And so it was a pretty intensive program for about a year. And so then got my health coaching certification from there. And so that was basically, you know, just how I started getting into it was I just realized that I had a lot that I could do to help people and, you know, have developed this passion for helping people with their health as well, because, you know, I mean, well, the last year and a half hasn't taught us anything. I don't know what we ever will that we're in, you know, a health crisis of many proportions. And, you know, the only pandemic going on isn't the one that people think about. There's a lot more epidemics and pandemics of people's health. Like I've seen things like people say, you know, we're in an epidemic of a lack of sleep. We're in a pandemic of people's metabolism and diabetes and uh, epidemic of people that don't get enough exercise and enough vitamin D and obesity. And, you know, I mean, there's just lots and lots of other health challenges that people have that have made the big one, if you will, even worse than it would have been otherwise. Oh, I, I totally so. agree. And I, you know, I'm looking at what we eat now. We're, we're not always eating food, you know, <laughs> we're eating. <laughs> it's like they say we eat food like substances. I've seen these graphics circulate around on social media over the last few years saying, if your great, great grandparents were to go to the grocery store, they wouldn't even recognize a lot of the food they see on the shelf. They wouldn't even think that that's food. Yeah, yeah. And I loved what you were saying about the difference between getting a diagnosis when you were a child. I I understand it's very common for girls, you know, boys are more easy to diagnose. And it is very common, Mm -hmm. like you said, that they're not diagnosed. And meanwhile, they've gone through these years of social anxiety and trying to fit in and trying to figure out it's, it's like trying to play a game when you don't even understand the rules as they try to fit in the social scene as an adolescent. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And what's trickier too is that for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but a lot of times autism has a tendency to be more severe in boys. That is to say, you don't encounter a lot of nonverbal autistic Mm -hmm. girls, but you do encounter a lot of nonverbal autistic boys. And it's not like it's unheard of, but for whatever reason, the females have a tendency to usually have their voice in most cases. And it has a tendency to affect other aspects of our lives and not just the ability to talk. That's true. So it's more than just the... I had heard that girls are better at imitating what other people do so they can mask it until they get to that adolescent stage where the social rules become much more complicated and that's when they crash and burn. But this is an interesting thing that I hadn't heard this so that boys, you really can um, have a more severe reaction then. A lot of times, I don't know, I wouldn't say that that's always the case, but it's like, I just know from some of the studies and things I've done, and there was back, there was a movie that was popular back in, oh, when I, I remember, I was pretty young when I saw it, maybe in the 90s, called The Boy Who Could Fly, that was about a pretty severely autistic boy, and he's, you know, he's flapping in his arms, and he doesn't talk, and he's off in the corner, and that kind of thing, and well, that can happen with females you don't really hear about it a lot it's more it's a lot of the more of the males that for whatever reason 
really struggle with, you know, the really more on the, the extreme end where, you know, you obviously know something is not normal. Whereas with the females, it can be hidden a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Now I love your title of disaster or blessing. And I understand there are companies, especially in technology, that actively recruit people with autism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've heard of ones that have opened up their doors. I'm trying to remember which one it was or where it was at, but I remember seeing a news article probably like in the last six months or so of a company that was starting and their whole goal was specifically to hire people with autism, meaning I maybe they hire a few that don't have it, but for the most part, it was the whole company was opening up with that express intent. And I also like the fact that we're learning more about it. I'm, I'm familiar with the story of Temple Grandin and all of the opposition she encountered because people didn't understand why she acted the way she did. She suffered a lot of ridicule and rejection. But now we're learning more about it. I think, at least I hope, people are more accepting and understanding. But I still think I'm I want you to talk about being the advocate because I really think that's needed. For sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. So a couple things. So like, as you mentioned, Temple Grandin, she's a good example of a person that you could slap the blessing autism label on if you want, because she, I firmly believe from having read a few of her books and seen the movies. And I actually saw her in person very briefly a few years ago. She was here in Salt Lake City for a conference. And I happened to see her on the street as she was just like walking by and running by. So I didn't really get a chance to actually talk to her. But I did actually see her in person. And I don't believe that she would have written the books that she's written and done the research and things that she's done had she not had autism. So, you know, for her, that was definitely a blessing. And for the rest of us, because we've been able to benefit from, and especially in the field of animal science, they've been able to benefit from a lot of things that had she not had autism, she would probably not have written the books and done the research or had the insights that she's had. So that's definitely, you know, a positive there. And yeah, so I feel like when it comes to being an advocate, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can advocate for it. You know, we have people going through and doing things like trying to run bills through Congress for different things. So, for example, I actually helped volunteer with a group uh, here locally in Utah, probably about six, it was a little more than that, maybe like eight or nine years ago or so. And they were trying to, at that time, the insurance companies were not required to cover therapies for kids on the spectrum. And they were actually even doing things like denying medical treatment for kids on the spectrum because they were saying, oh, well, autism isn't a covered thing under insurance plans. And it's like, well, a lot of the things you're denying aren't exclusive to autism. The child just happens to have the autism, you know, and so you're denying their coverages and it helped with part of the advocacy to get that law passed so that has changed now and insurance companies are required under a lot of conditions to cover some of these things for kids on the spectrum and 
you know, back to my childhood, I lucked out because autism was not as well known back then. My parents actually had a lot of my therapies and things covered by insurance, but that has been, you know, in more recent times has been a battle. I think most states, but I don't want to say all, but I think most states now have that mandate. But, you know, if you go back even as recent as 10 years ago, that that didn't exist. So, you know, a lot of parents were really struggling because a lot of things that should be covered by insurance for their child were not being covered. You know, I have seen studies that state it's expensive enough to raise a child to adulthood, but if the child has special needs, it's four times as expensive. And then to have things like this happening, that really makes it tough. How do you? Oh, it makes it super tough. And the other challenge too, is that a lot of the kids have have a hard time either in school or, you know, maybe they have a harder time at home or they need extra therapies, extra special diets, extra support, that kind of thing. And so it makes it, if not impossible, very difficult for the mother to work outside the home and still give their child the special needs and attention and things that they need. And yet in today's day and age, a lot of times both parents have to work or what happens a lot of times more often than not, which is even worse, is a lot of times the parents that have a child on the spectrum will end up divorced. And then they're, you're dealing with a single mom that's trying to raise the child and doesn't have the money, you know. And so it's just this vicious cycle of they're not, you know, and obviously there are exceptions where some parents do have more money, but a lot of times, yeah, it can be really taxing on the finances of parents to have a child on the spectrum. For yes, sure. yes. And you, as you mentioned, I've seen several cases where they, you know, if the parents are not together on how to care for this child, it can end in divorce. It can now there's a single mother or a single parent raising yeah. this child, which is heartbreaking. Absolutely, yeah. It, so, can be, it can be heartbreaking and challenging, especially if there are other children mm-hmm. too. I mean, it's the whole dynamic, you know, of how do you successfully raise the one child, especially if you only have one child that's on the spectrum and you have maybe one, two, three, maybe even four other kids that aren't. You know, it's how do you deal with the one child needs the extra attention, the one child needs a special diet, maybe the other kids don't. How do you deal with that? So, yeah, lots of challenges to. So, do you work with families then? With families of. So, I primarily work with the parents usually. And usually, what my approach is so, I start by offering a free consultation. You know, anybody can take me up on it. I highly recommend you do because I'm not going to be some high pressured salesman on this consultation. The idea is just for me to find out how can I potentially help you, give you some recommendations for free, all that kind of thing. And then what I typically will do is I have a couple different ways that people can work with me. Some, you know, a little less expensive than others. But the idea is that I primarily work with the parents. And a lot of times it's the mom. It's in fact, there, sometimes there, I've worked with some single moms and then I've worked with some where, you know, the mom, the parents are still together, but I don't, typically the dad isn't all that involved, unfortunately, yeah. or I guess whatever you want to say, but it's usually the mom that I usually end up talking to and just helping the mom with helping the child with their diet, with their overall health, with that kind of thing. Yeah. 
that that was my next question. So you can work with them. I love it that you have the diet component. And I have heard that repeatedly that mm-hmm. parents reporting, you know, we changed their diet and I saw almost immediately a vast improvement. So you can help them with the diet. Then you, you are advocate, autism advocate. Do you ever get an, involved with the schools? I haven't. That's not really my background. So, you know, that would be where I would likely refer them more to somebody like you or somebody who's a parent coach, that kind of thing. My my background really is in more in helping with the health because I'm not a nutritionist. I don't like say, hey, you must give your child this certain diet. Typically when people come to me, they already know what kind of diet they want to put their child on, or they already know just that their child's eating too much sugar and dyes and things like that. And they want some tips on how do they get their child to give those up, you know, and how do they overcome the whole, my child only wants chicken nuggets thing, which that's a whole nother topic <laughs> of itself. But the short version to that is that that's really the case in most cases. I hate to say it, moms, but it's your problem, really. I mean, if your child is that picky and if you have that many severe picky eating, in my experience, a lot of the time, and not always, sometimes the child might have a medical issue as well, but a lot of times it's the fault of the mother because the mother has created that kind of an environment in which the child doesn't want to eat what they're given. And there's a lot of reasons behind it. Sometimes the parents were picky eaters themselves. Sometimes the parents do and say things that initiate that, but you know, it's, there are things that can be done to overcome that. And a lot of times it is on the parents to some degree. If a child's really having a lot of those issues. I'd like to remind parents that they need to maintain they need to be the decision makers in the family. They're mm-hmm. the adults. Exactly. It. it shouldn't be the child deciding what they will eat, but the parents teaching them to eat nutritional foods. Exactly what it is. It's like if you're you're the parent, so you're the one that should be cooking the food and serving the food and telling your child that this is what we're eating. Mm-hmm. And my parents really, my mom especially, really was a stickler on that. I didn't get to just pick what I wanted to eat as a child. Didn't happen. My mom was really stickler. Now, granted, there were certain things I just didn't like. And my mommy would say, okay, you can just have a little bite of this because I want you to try it. And then, you know, she'd make other things that she knew I did like. So it wasn't like she was purposely trying to feed me all the time. A lot of things I didn't like, Yeah. but you know, I didn't control the roost, so to speak, when it comes to what I got to eat. My mother controlled it and it worked really effectively most of the time. So, you know, and I've seen this even with neurotypical kids that, you know, a lot of times the pickiest kids, it's things that the parents are doing and the parents just don't realize it. So anyhow, that's kind of a little bit of a tangent. Just kind of helping them to see that, that they really. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. So when you're working with parents, you're bringing the benefit of your experience your mm-hmm. research, what you've learned about health, helping them with mm-hmm. that. And then the advocate part, you're working more with any um, legislation or... 
I have done some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just helping people realize, you know, what what can happen if you if if a child is given the resources they need to thrive when they're younger, what can happen when they're an adult? And to realize that getting that diagnosis as a child is not the end of the world. In fact, if anything, it's the beginning of the world for that child and the health that they need. It's opening up new possibilities. I love Mm -hmm. that. I love helping them develop that much more positive mindset. That's so, so important. And then I also, my observation is, as a school teacher is not all teachers understand how differently wired children learn. And sometimes the parents can approach the teacher and explain, you know, this is how they learn best. This is, this is how to encourage them to participate. And, you know, sometimes that can make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah, so the tagline that I use that's on my blog and a lot of my social media, things like that, is transform, health, inspire, hope. So that literally is what I strive to do is to help transform your health and inspire hope in you that your life can change and be better. I love that. So how do people contact you? What's the best way? So the best way is my actual website, which is my name. So A-N-N-A-L-A-U-R-A-B-R-O-W-N.com. So Brown.com. And I'm also on, you know, like LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. And I'm on Instagram. My handle is my last name first. So Brown Analara. Somebody else had for some reason taken Analara Brown as a handle already wasn't somebody that's like really that active on Instagram. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what the deal is or if it's still even an active profile. But at the time I was joining Instagram, that okay. was the case. And I'm also on Pinterest with the username Analar Brown as well. And on the Pinterest, LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm the only one there with that name. So you won't find other people with my name. So it's pretty easy to figure out which one is me. Awesome. And then they can start with that free 30 minute call, learn more about exactly. you. Exactly. They can download the first chapter of my book as well, which is a good introduction to. Which is great. I'm going to give it a plug. I've read it. It's, it's really good. Fascinating story. Thank you. Yes. I really tried to make it as fascinating and as captivating as possible. So. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Anna Laura, thank you so much. Okay, yeah, thank you for having me. For sharing. And you have a great day. Yep, you too. Thank you. Everyone wants a peaceful, loving family. Parents want to enjoy harmony and unity in their homes. However, some parents struggle because they didn't grow up in a peaceful home and they simply don't know how to create it for their family. Helping families not only heal but thrive is my expertise. I've been happily married for 48 years. We have seven grown successful children. I'm an author and a global mentor for families. As a parenting and family strengthening expert, I'm dedicated to helping you create the family of your dreams. My proven program is called Healing Families. It's designed to give you the information and the support you need to become the best version of yourself so you can become an even better parent. 
I would love to talk with you about your family and discuss your specific concerns. I absolutely know that you can have a peaceful, loving family, and I can help you achieve that wonderful goal and even enjoy dinner time again. I will give you all the tools you need to release old baggage, increase confidence, use your emotions more effectively, and interact with your children in positive ways. This is your opportunity to replace family patterns like yelling and quarreling with the peaceful atmosphere you desire. I invite you to schedule a call with me now by going to my website, healingyourfamilies.com. And when you do, you'll receive a copy of my family strengthening ebook, Power Parents. I look forward to talking with you and finding solutions for your family. We have just concluded another episode of In Support of Families. If you enjoyed the show and found it valuable, we appreciate you leaving us a review or recommending us to your friends. For more helpful resources, visit our website at insupportoffamilies.com. Join us again next week, and thanks for listening.